As a leader of any organization working with people, one of the greatest challenges is bringing out the best in the people around you. My guest this week has been the CEO of a global healthcare organization and now operates as a board chair. The realization he wishes he had had sooner in his career is that everyone is living in their own reality. The sooner you discover this fact, you listen more, ask better questions and generate higher performance. I'm Julia Repulse. Welcome to Generative Leaders. So, Alistair MacDonald, I uh, am a retired CEO, um, spent six years, uh, just a little over six years with Cineo South, INC Research Cineo South as CEO, NASDAQ listed. I uh, spent 20 years there in total. Um, prior to that, uh, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry mostly. Uh, in manufacturing, production, consulting, then ended up in a tiny CRO called INC, and we grew it to Sydney's Health over 20 years. Then after retirement, joined, I really ex- retired from executive life, um, of traveling across the uh, pond and uh, that kind of stuff, but now work with GHO Capital and a few other private equity houses to uh, as an operating partner, and so working as chairman for a couple of companies, non-exec director, that kind of thing. Cool. Well, thanks <clears> so <throat> much for being part of this conversation today. And, you know, this podcast really is about um, leadership mm-hmm. and um, how do you lead a business yeah. to really make change that serves society? And obviously in, yeah. in the growth trajectory that you had and in the mm-hmm. chair roles that you're doing mm-hmm. at the moment, you're, you're doing a lot of that. Yeah. Um, so it'd be great to hear some of your insights, learnings, experiences around yeah. that. I heard a quote the other day that captaincy is given to you and leadership is situational, right? So, and you, you don't need to be the captain to be the leader. And I, I used to try and explain that to my son when we were playing, when he was playing football, things like that. That you know, you don't, you don't need the armband to lead. And and I think it takes a while to understand that concept for people. Uh, you know, people get anointed to VP or you know, divisional president or CEO and that kind of thing. And it takes them a while to understand what leadership is and how it kind of reflects from you onto other people. Um, you know, with Cineos, we had 30,000 people around the world. And I think you can have, you have to have multiple leadership styles to match the m- multitude of people who um, are being led, who have different ways to receive that leadership, right? And they respond in different ways. So Back, way, way back in my career, when I worked for Siba Geige, we were given a book called The One Minute Manager, which I, I, I can't remember why it's called The One Minute Manager, by the way, but I think it takes about a minute to read the book, but it's a tiny, tiny book. But it, it, it really preached different strokes of different folks. And I think that that was something that I latched onto. And as I grew throughout all the organizations that I worked for, I really used that and learned a lot from that. And kind of at the end of my career, I, I gave a talk at a school here in the UK where my kids were. And a girl in the audience asked me at the end, 
you know, in the, in the Q&A session. What's the one thing that I know now that I did, that I wished I'd known when I started? And I said to her, it's that, you know, not everybody is like me. You know, not everybody sees a situation like I do, sees the potential in a situation or the threat in a situation the way that I do. Some people don't perceive threat, you know, or risk at all or at all well. Um, you know, maybe they go on to be Formula One drivers or fighter pilots. I don't know, but you know, that you have different perceptions, the different perceptions of a situation create a different feeling and that feeling creates a different response. And I do wish I'd known that from day one. I learned things along the way painfully. You know, I remember a CEO of mine who was an ex lieutenant colonel, I think in the, in the U S military. We went into a meeting and as we went in, he said, I'm going to ask a question shortly after this meeting starts. And I know you know the answer, but I don't want to hear your answer. I want to hear from other people because we need to see who else can lead different parts of the organization. He's basically telling me to shut my mouth and, <laughs> and listen a bit more, which my grandfather used to tell me all the time as well. But learning those, learning how to get the best out of people in different situations and the fact that half the time the answer is in the room, but the person with the answer doesn't want to say because they have a different perception of themselves or the situation, et cetera. And then learning to get that, get that information out of people at the right time or giving them the confidence to do that themselves, you know, all key learnings along the way for me. Yeah. Um, and I think you've got to, if you're the leader of something, you've got to have the passion for it. So I think now being a leader of an organization, there are so many things to deal with. And, you know, there's obviously the business dynamics, but also all the personal dynamics and the social dynamics around business and so on and so forth. You've got to be very agile, but you've also got to be very thoughtful while you're doing that because you can spring from one thing to the next and offend people quite quickly and easily along the way. And you've got to really think about that now. You have to think about that whole sphere of influence of how your style comes across, you know, and I think it's, I think that's a real challenge now for, for leaders who are, who, particularly if they're not genuinely thinking through the situation. You know, it, in our organizations, we've, we've put together kind of commitments to climate action and climate change. And if you don't believe in it, it's very hard to explain it as to why you're doing it. And that is very hard to explain that to investors as well as the people in the organization. Um, same with kind of the social um, elements of, of work. You know, why, why would you set up a culture that where anybody can be what they like? We, at Cineos, we created what we call the total self-culture. We told people, we don't care what you want to be. Well, we do, we care, but we don't care how you express it. If you want to come to work and be whoever you want to be, so just be a total self and just express that. We, we embrace that diversity because if you build a company with 30,000 people and they're all the same and they all think the same, you won't have a 30,000 person company for very long because that lack of diversity creates no innovation. And if everybody thought like me, we would not have a business at all. <laughs> so, you know, it's, I think it's a huge challenge to do that. And as uh, organizations get bigger, your leadership chart style has to change. 
you have to lead through influence and you have to lead your leadership needs to come through the leadership of others. So you're leading leaders rather than leading followers. And that has to cascade down. And that that can be quite difficult. Gosh, you covered so much <laughs> in that <laughs> in that in that opening um that, you know, I'm sure we could spend the next kind of three hours digesting, you know, each of each of those pieces. But I guess that the key things that sort of stood out for me mm-hmm. were, you know, having that realization that other people don't think like you, other people don't have the same perception of you. And so um, that listening piece of, well, how do people really see Mm. the world? Um, What, what is it that drives them? What is it that's important to them? What is it that, you know, as a leader, really understanding that, um, and spending the time to be thoughtful, to listen, to 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 really understand what that person is about. It's almost like if you see that as a fact, it's not it's not something you have to believe. It's just mm. a truth in life. Mm. Um, then it kind of makes sense that you would build a culture that allows for those 30,000 different perceptions mm. that you would, you know, kind of go, well, you're going to express yourself in a different way. And I don't want to mute you from from doing that because it it's what makes sense yeah. given that as a as a fact. Um, and as you started with that as the the one thing that mm-hmm. you wish you um, had had known, you know, if you're starting from that basis, what are the things that you think it kind of leads to naturally as a result? Well, that's uh, it's quite a hard question to answer, actually. I think um, one thing that did change with me over the years was that I did talk a lot less and I listened a lot more, um, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but trying to understand your kind of leadership group within a company, particularly a big company, and how you link that to information that can be absorbed by, you know, understood and absorbed by people. But somebody I used to work with used to tell me, I used to get really frustrated with people not kind of picking up what we were trying to put down. And a lady always who I work with used to tell me, remember, you have been working on this day in, day out for weeks. So you understand it inside out. The people you're trying to communicate this to have only just heard it or maybe have heard it twice. So until you've told them it seven times in relatively decent detail, they're just not going to respond to it at all. So there's a lot of groundwork that has to be covered before you get to the point of, okay, I've kind of laid out the strategy or the tactics that we're going to do around this deal or around this, where we're going with this division or as a whole. And then you start to get that information back from them. They've absorbed it. And again, going back to kind of thinking about all these different kind of phenotypes within leadership teams, how deep does that go? How are they absorbing the information? It's very important to kind of skip a level and check underneath that the information you told to people you're leading is the same information that's cascaded down. And then that's, I thought, or I came to believe was the really important period in a change or in, you know, communications leadership. 
was once they'd absorbed that information and had time to think about it, then the response. So the first couple of responses from the first few times you've people have seen a change, I used to almost just discard. It, it would create like a really wide funnel of responses. And then as people understand it more, the funnel naturally narrows. So you get a couple of versions of, of, of where it's going. And then from those couple of versions, you can fine tune the message and, and, and bring people along a little bit, a little bit more rapidly or a little bit more well aligned, if you like, um, in a, in a leadership population. It's easier to lead. I think if, if people understand that message, it's a bit more compact. And I think, I think what you're pointing to is that the universal thing that kind of sits across that set of personality types is one, that communication is not dependent on the communicator, it's dependent on the listener. Mm -hmm. And so when you're communicating something, doing it in a small amount enough with a concise piece around it, that then allows space for the person to actually absorb what you're yeah. saying and then checking with them, what did you hear, yeah. you know, kind of demonstrates that what's landing in them might not be what you intended, might not be what you said, mm -hmm. might not be, you know, anything about mm -hmm. it. So, you know, that's the kind of universal piece is, yeah. you know, they're playing it through whatever filter they're playing um, oh yeah, I mean, I, I, I over the years of well, there are some funny stories really about what you've said and what somebody else has heard, and and there are games you can actually buy games off the high street now that that, that do this thing, but yeah, that people's perception of what you're actually trying to achieve is so broad now, you know, and so diverse. You, you have to have this constant communications cadence that that touches on it and can nudge almost nudge groups of people into the right orientation for, for that alignment across a business, especially a big business with multiple cultures, multiple countries, multiple cultures within those multiple countries, so on and so forth. It's, it's actually, I found it to be on kind of on the, the flip side, A, fascinating and B, very frustrating all at the same time because as a leader of an organization of any type, really, you want change to happen quickly. And the longer change takes to happen, sometimes the harder it is. But sometimes that slower pace actually enables change to bed in more. But, but companies now, they live and die on speed of change and, and action. And if you can't get that message across successfully, or people won't, won't kind of come to the message, it can be very frustrating. I think there's a lot of trust in that as well. I think people are more inclined to follow a leader that they trust, that they see as genuine, that they see as somebody who's you know prepared to jump in the deep end with them and, and help them with customers or whatever it is, deliverables, whatever. But again, that's very hard to do if you're the CEO of a big company. You, you really don't spend any time delivering for customers. You spend all your time dealing with investors and, you know, the board and things like that so yeah it's i, I found that a fascinating i come i didn't i never thought about it when i went into business at all and now i think about it all the time and i and i still occasionally roll my eyes at things and think you know really we're going to have to do that 
it's so obvious, but it's really not. You have to unwind that and think about those people who can make the make the change or make the deliverables that the leader's trying to lead the company to. And they're key. They're key fundamental elements in the company's performance or the team's delivery. And if they don't get it or they don't want to do it because they don't believe in it or they don't trust you that you're doing it for the right reasons, it, 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 it impinges on the performance or the delivery. Yeah. And so what, what would your advice be? I mean, obviously, you're, you're a chairman mm. now and you have to influence in that chair position. Yeah. So what are some of the advice that you give to the CEOs that you're working with about how, how do they kind of slow down yeah. in order to speed up? Yep. And uh, and how do they also um, really discern are people not understanding or are people disagreeing, but they're doing it in a passive-aggressive way? Okay, good questions. Um, <laughs> so I think my advice to CEOs is to spend a little bit more time on the launch pad prior to pressing the button. So... When 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 you want to make a change or you know you've got something on the agenda, the temptation is right. Let's just get on with it, and you can outrun your supply lines very quickly if you do that. You know, people just don't follow. The message is not holistic. There's not the depth to it, etc. You've got to have time to. Of any size company, you've got to have two or three people now. I think who are implementing the leadership or implementing a change or whatever it is you're trying to get done. Because the way our social networks work now, if I try to roll out a change, if I'm the CEO of a company, I try and roll out a change, the first person who hears it goes straight to somebody else who works at the CEO and says, what does that mean? So when that person gets to that second leader, that second leader's got to be on the same message. So pre-launch, lots more planning, communications, packages ready, people understanding what, going out and when but also those rabbit holes or whatever you'd call them that people go straight down to ask somebody else at the end of that rabbit hole needs to be sat somebody who's got the, who's got the consistent and a well-aligned answer and who believes in it as well and you know part of that planning is okay let's pressure test this between us as the ultimate leadership of an organization it, and fine-tune it so that we are all in a line, you know, we are all aligned on the changes or the direction that we're going to go in and then communicate it. Because if you get that, then it seems like a more robust kind of solution or a decision. So way before I was CEO, even I think maybe even before I was CEO, COO, we used to be asked to do global cascades of information by the divisions. So you'd get we'd get a corporate deck and that had two two blank pages in it where you could add, you know, the oncology division or the CNS division or data management or whatever. You could have add materials that was relevant for that for that group. So I was running one of the therapeutic groups in INC CRO, and I used to on a Monday night once a month because we were global. We'd do it about eight o'clock. I would give this global or hands call. And I used to pick 8 p.m. because pretty much everybody around the world could be, okay, someone might have to be in the office a little bit early. 
Some might be in the office a little bit late, but they could generally be on the call, so we don't have to do it once. We, rec we recorded it. And it was at a time where I only had like 500 people in this division. Anyway, I noticed on the call one day, I had 730 attendees. So I asked my operations lead, how do we have 730 people coming to a call with only 500 people in the group? And she said, you're the only person who does this on a regular basis and provides the message that is coming from corporate. So people from other divisions come to your call. <laughs> so you've got to have that. If you've got a company that's got multiple divisions or is in multiple locations, you've got to make sure as a leader that the message is getting everywhere. Because you can, if you end up with one half the organization moving forward and the other half not, I actually think it's worse than nobody's moving forward because you've got that inconsistency. And customers see that. It's, if, you're, if you're an organization that deals with customers across multiple divisions, customers spot that immediately and will tell you quite quickly, I get two different levels of service or I've got two different you know, understandings or whatever across your groups. So it's how do you how do you bring everybody along? But I, I think you've got to go to the end and ask people. You've got to have little focus groups. We used to do these high potential groups in Cineos, and I used to do it with the people who sat outside my office here in Varnborough or in Raleigh or in New Jersey or in New York, wherever I was. I would spend time talking to them and say, "Hey, how, what do you think about you know Project X?" And when they look at you and you can see that thousand yard stare of Project X. What, what is that? <laughs> then you just only have to ask, well, what do you do again? <laughs> so then you can narrow down where the channels are working and where they're not. But I think that's part of leadership, of, of leadership is to make sure that you have access points all the way through the organization. And I was lucky because I grew up in our organization. I, joined it when there were 200 people and left it when there were 30,000. So along, along that journey, I collected many access points to different levels of the organization in different verticals. And people would just come to me and say, we haven't heard anything about this or why aren't we involved in that? And you, you, if you have to listen to the questions that they ask as well. Why aren't we involved? Why won't we ask our opinion? And if you hear that, it means they're not connected into the into the change or into the into the leadership lines and and lines break all the time and they reform and they're 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 very kind of um liquid and people get you know you get people who listen to half the information scramble it and pass it on and then you have a group of people who get a scrambled message so <laughs> like i said i found it a kind of almost a fascinating social experiment and just something you can learn from all the time. You know, now I work with much smaller organizations, which is great in a way, it's harder in another way. But it is a lot easier to get that information to the whole team. Mm -hmm. And you can, I really, I am a big believer in uh, what I used to call shaking hands and kissing babies, meeting people and, you know, just having a little conversation with them and, and hopefully they come away from that conversation with, oh, he, he was okay. Or, you know, yeah, I understand where he's coming from on that. Or, you know, and, and be open and let people ask you questions. You, there shouldn't be any question that the CEO is not prepared to answer within an organization. Obviously, there are some confidential ones, finances and stuff like that. But, 
you know, there shouldn't be any questions about strategy and direction, et cetera, that you can't answer. Because if you can't answer them, you haven't communicated them properly. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that, you know, that giving space for people to clarify, to ask questions yeah. is you know, a sort of fundamental thing. Testing whether they're actually connecting with what you're yeah. with what you're saying, and I think it's important to set up the right environment for those people to ask those questions. So, you know, we we create a regular cadence of blogs and blogs and things like that, but a space for people to ask questions confidentially, because there's always a stupid. You know, how many times have we been in meetings where people are desperate to ask the stupid question? that everybody else in the room is desperate to ask as well, but nobody will because it's probably a stupid question. Give people a safe space to ask that question. So some of our strategy leads would be kind of an anonymous stupid question answers on on a little blog. Yeah. You know, so you could ask a question anonymously. And we used to tell people all the time, we'd rather you ask the question than go away and get confused because we save you time, save you frustration, so... Yeah, no, exactly. But I think it's it's getting the right communications out into the into the right environment, and that all you know ports back to the culture of a company, how it sees itself, how it sees its resources. You know, key resource being its people in pretty much any business, and how they interact. and And I think you've got to really think about the environment you want to set up what people are expecting to see now. So I, I think, you know, from an environmental perspective, one of the things we did at Cineo is we signed up for the climate pledge for 2030. A, we all believe that that was the right thing to do from a societal perspective. But there's a cascade from that because we hired a lot of people out of college and university and young people into the industry and they've got choices. And if they look at you and you don't have a commitment to doing the right thing at the right time when people aren't looking, they're not going to work for you Yeah, because people have a choice now and, you know, people work from home, so they're not geographically restricted like they used to be. So if you aren't set up the right environment that they can see themselves fitting into culturally, then you're going to struggle in the long term. No, exactly. Exactly. There's a question I wanted to ask you to kind of go Mm -hmm. back in that, you know, when you're part of a leadership team and you've got a really strong idea that yeah. looks really obvious to you, but you've got a group of people around you that sort of, you know, they trust you, they back you, but they just don't believe what you believe. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Well, again, I think it comes down to the trust between you and them. Um, and they've got to trust that if that they can tell you why they don't believe it and you know, you've got to be open. I mean, I, I've I, and I've and I've done this as well. I've seen um, things that I thought were a great idea and tried to push them through and hammer them through. And if you don't have that support to do it, even as a CEO of a big company, it gets harder and harder and harder and harder, and you end up in a war of attrition, right? And that's very counterproductive. But I think the management leadership teams should be able to work out between them the right solution when that happens. So if somebody comes in and is a massive believer in X, somebody else doesn't, let's let's have the debate. And there shouldn't be any, well, I'm the CEO, you know, you're the COO, so we're doing it my way. The, the, I don't think there's any room in business for the my way or the highway anymore. Because the 
initiatives are so complex and they're so, you know, they have so many facets now that if there's any division in that leadership, you just can't get the message through. So again, I think you've got to have that right culture at the leadership table or in the leadership teams where there's an equal and kind of effective voice across the whole leadership because it helps you generally refine an approach and, and provide a better solution. You know, and I think modern CEOs, I mean, I, I think there's thousands of examples where, you know, amazing companies were built by amazing people who had a my way or the highway approach. I just think business is too complicated now to have that. Um, I'm sure it works for some people in some places, but you won't have a leadership team for very long. I heard a great quote once that people who don't listen end up being surrounded by people who have nothing to say. And if you get to that point, a leadership team, it's game over because you're not, it's not a team. You've got to have that team dynamic. And, and, and you have to think about how that dynamic is fostered and it's, a, it's like a relate, it's like a very complicated relationship. It has to be nurtured. It has to be cared for. It has to be allowed to evolve. Uh, and people need to be able to move on and around and take on other positions. Uh, and I'll come back to that because I think that was really important in my career, actually, the, the different positions that I held. But I think you've got to have that ability to say, I think this is, I think this is a dumb idea and this is, and this is why, or I think we could do it better. You know, this is a better solution. And the people who are bringing it have got to be able to, to open to that. So I was lucky in a way as we grew INC and, and, and evolved over like a 10 year period, I ended up with a reputation for fixing things along the way. Um, and I had a few nicknames that I didn't know until very much later that <laughs> some are quite good actually, and some are not so good, but what it did give me as I went through the organization, I ran oncology and I ran business development alliances, data management, global services, regions, that kind of thing. We're all involved in all those kind of things. Got all these different viewpoints of the business that I just accumulated along the way. And I didn't realize how valuable that was until I got made COO. And then I just had this like ability or vision, I suppose, of how it all fitted together and what worked, what made the organization run, mm. where the core, where the core specialty was actually. And kind of that, and if you got that part right as a foundation, the bits on top of it, which was super important, would just run a lot better. Yeah. So I think that's an important element in leadership as well. I'm a big fan of moving people around. It, you know, it's very tempting to say, right, you know, Julia's doing a great job at eggs. Just leave Julia doing that. But Julia gets bored of doing that. And she kind of fancies going over to, I don't know, Singapore or, you know, wherever to to run a different division see a different culture that kind of thing it's all learning and i don't think businesses do enough of that um because it fosters understanding it fosters a better vision across across the business and as people rise up in a leadership team you need that experience yeah and if they don't get it within an organization they tend to leave to try to seek out what, what they're missing so but the other thing that you just kind of touched on that i think is really important is when you've got that mental model of 
how does this business operate? Mm -hmm. How does it fit together? Not just from a personality's perspective, but from a you know from a functional perspective, mm. you you have a a different way of viewing the business and seeing it. And I think that there's a lot of leaders that get recruited into mm -hmm. a business who have a mental model from their previous mm -hmm. organisations mm -hmm. that isn't necessarily the mental model <clears throat> of yeah. the the organization they're working yeah. for and the time isn't spent yeah, no. to help them have to that orient. realization or yeah. know, this is the foundational piece yeah. these sit sit on yeah. top this is how they connect this is how these things work together yeah. um and i think as you were saying earlier that when you are in a startup mode and then you grow rapidly um, it's like the people that were there at the beginning have yeah. got that mental model, but then you haven't brought everybody with yeah. you on that, and they're just in their silo doing their yeah, yeah. doing their thing. Yeah, I I agree. I, I mean, uh, we would have a fairly extensive orientation for new leaders into into the organisation to to try and get that understanding. I don't think you can ever get it in there fully. And everybody's always chomping at the bit to just get on with it, right? So go back to the launch pad thing <laughs> earlier on. But, yeah, I think that's a real challenge because everything needs to be done now, now, now. So you just, you just don't have the time sometimes. But it, it's definitely worthwhile people understanding how the bits fit together and what makes, you know, why does that part have to run so well for the other part to, you know, even be able to service customers. On the other piece that you mentioned there the kind of how do you coming out of startup and into different phases i think that the interesting thing through my career was every three years i think the company almost reinvented itself or it became something different we'd either have a ton of organic growth or we'd acquire something or we'd something was always changed. i used to tell people it's never boring here because something's either just happened or is about to happen so you're constantly having these changes, which was great. But I think looking back, you, you almost have to think about a, co a company as, a, as an engine and a gearbox working together. So you can pull away from the start line in first gear. And first gear is the most powerful gear because you're moving from nothing, right? So the hardest thing to do in a company is get it moving. So you've got it moving. Now what? Well, you don't drive a car and just make first gear work harder and harder you shift into second gear which is a different set of cogs working in a different pattern in the gearbox etc and i think about businesses like that so okay the people and processes we got that we we created the organization with and we started it with and got us to that first gear change some of those aren't going to be the people who are here when we change from second to third because they're startup people they're not operations people you know or kind of daily operations people. I think there's a difference. You've got to have more sophisticated systems. You've got to have better wiring between the, the, the groups. And you've got to evolve the businesses at the right time to do that. Um, you know, who are our BD, you know, who are our sales targets? Who are the customers? How do we get to them? What channels do we need to put the product in? That kind of thing. So I think you've got to constantly think about, okay, this is where I am. This is where I'm heading. Have I got all the right things? Do I have the right people? Am I in the right places? Do I have the right, you know, underlying systems? I mean, some of the hardest things are when you get to a point where you've got so many people, you, you're having to bring in 
ERP systems and platforms like that because a nobody's ever enjoyed putting an ERP system. In. Believe me, I've done it <laughs> twice, and I wouldn't want to ever do it a third time. <laughs> and you know, when you when you get to that level of sophistication in a business, it's completely different to running a business of twenty people or fifty people or hundred people. So, you, I, I think you have to, leaders have to think about that and and also reflect on themselves. Am I the right leader for this organization? And I think of when I think of INC's growth over the years and the CEOs we had, and then into CEOs. For me, it's I think of it like a re, almost a relay race. It's, we had all of us had sweet spots where we were doing really well, and then we had spots where we weren't doing really well. And sometimes that spot where it's not going well, or you feel like you're not adding the value anymore is the point to hand over the baton to somebody else. Mm. And I think leaders have to feel confident that, that that they understand that themselves. So I learned a lot about myself as I went through my career and became, uh, and certainly in the last two positions that I had a COO and CEO, I became very reflective of myself and how, how I came across to others. And I really did notice it when I became CEO you know, they say it's lonely at the top. I couldn't have imagined how that would shift to that. But also going back to the speaking and listening part, if you're the CEO of a company, when you say something in a meeting, half the people in the meeting believe that that is gospel and that is the solution. And that's really dangerous because you want those people who sit around the table and who have the expertise to tell you. Mm-hmm. And that I learned to be quiet. Okay, for the first half of the meeting, you're not hearing what I think. I want to hear what you think first. And I try and do that now as chair. And I always sit there and the, I always sit in meetings and think, God, these people must think I'm a little bit dense because I'm not saying anything and I'm the chairman or whatever. And it's because I want to hear what they think first. Because as we formulate a solution for something, you want all the inputs first. If you give the output, some of those inputs don't even bother coming. So. And that's, you know, and that and that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because you almost have to label that's what you're doing yeah. so that people don't kind of create an image of you that yeah. isn't what your actual intention is. Well, I, I so I work with people in INC for 20 years. And those who know me well, we would go through parts where, you know, we'd be in a meeting and we'd come out of the meeting and they'd come to me and say, are you okay? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. But you were very quiet. I'd just be like, yeah, I, uh, I'm listening to, for the solution, not trying to give out a solution. Yeah. Well, given that we're running out of power <laughs> and steam, maybe we should end it there. Yeah, well, so thank you. thank you so much for having this conversation. It's been wonderful and very insightful. Um, and uh, and it'd be lovely to maybe you know speak again at mm-hmm. some point to hear your evolving thoughts yeah, sure. as, as things change. I'd be happy to. Thanks for having me. What a fascinating conversation with Alistair. I was so struck by what he shared, and the three things that I took away were: firstly, if we all have a different reality it's a fact that we will disagree. And if you know that, there is nothing to fear, only to surface and see what makes sense. It's so interesting how we think that 
everybody else is seeing the same picture in their heads as us. And so frequently we realize that it's not working that way. See how much you can observe that in your own life by really understanding the picture in someone else's head. Leading by listening rather than telling was Alistair's key message. And I've been reflecting since we've had this conversation on how much I've been listening rather than talking. It really is a skill to develop. We're so conditioned to want to tell people the answer or give them advice. But when we really listen and really get quiet, we can ask better questions and we can get a better picture of what's in others' heads rather than our own. What would be the value for you if you ask better questions? If you enjoyed this episode and you feel that others might benefit too, please go ahead and share it. You can do that at generativeleaders.co or wherever you get your podcasts. I look forward to being with you on the next episode of Generative Leaders. Generative Leaders.